Last week we started a theme on spiritual warfare, and this was um, based on the nine principles of of war by a Chinese general, which we said last week, and I'm just going to quickly go through this so that we can just get up to speed where we're at. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, we just mentioned the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I think when we think about warfare, uh, we think about it something that I've got to go get into action, roll up my sleeves, and beat up the enemy. And really, that's not where we start. Our, our warfare always begins from a point of advantage. And that the war has already been won for us. And that when the enemy comes at us like a flood, we just need to understand our tools and our equipment so that we can wage a good warfare and that we would not engage the devil on his territory. I was watching a little video last night, a YouTube video, about how eagles kill, kill very poisonous snakes. Did you ever see that? It's so cool. I wish I could show it to you right now. It's, eagles never engage a poisonous snake on their territory. They always, what they'll do is they'll, they'll swoop down. And I just saw this video, and this, this eagle just comes out of nowhere, um, puts its, kind of flies over a lake, puts its claws into the lake, and pulls out this huge, huge snake. And it's just flying off with it. And then in the air, it's like crushing it in its talons. It's like... It's disabling it because the snake has just no, no ability in the air. He's just totally, he's just totally disabled. And then from a very high distance, the, the eagle will drop the snake on some very hard like rocks or something and then swoop down and, it'll, and just the snake at that point is disabled and it'll just finish it off. Isn't that interesting? I think the eagle is such an example of a believer that understands our position in Christ in the air, in the heavenly places. That we are not on this earth just trying to break through the, uh, the rat race, the warfare that we face. Um, but we have weapons that are spiritual. And when we look at um, our strategy and when we look at the plan of God, really the cross has brought us through to a place of just total forgiveness. Because the great weapon that the devil has against you and I today, or that he thinks he has, is our sin, our past. And he uses that for guilt. He tries to cause guilt in our life. And what the devil tries to do is he tries to bring into this spiritual courtroom um, accusations. And every time he brings an accusation, the judge has to say, this has already been resolved. You are forgiven. And this, this individual that you're bringing accusations against is forgiven. And we see this happen with the high priest Joshua, remember? that the devil brings the high priest Joshua into the courtroom of God and says, he is your high priest, he is your man, but he has dirty garments. And what does God do? He just says, change the garments. And that's all, because the court case has already been won. And Joshua, the high priest, like us as believer priests, have been forgiven. And so we are talking about this general, Chinese general. I'm kind of speeding through this, so... Uh, so we can get to the, the latter part of what we want to hit today. General Sun Tzu, he lived about 500 B.C., <clears throat> and he had two keys in the, ward of air, in the art of warfare, uh, deception and subdue without a fight. Isn't that interesting? Beat the enemy before you even engage in, in war. The Christian, we have been in this position, and I think General Su, we know that the gospel at that time had, had gotten into that part of Asia. Um, well, not... 
the gospel of Jesus Christ that we would think of Jesus rising from the dead. But there were, there were people that were believers in God from the Old Testament that were spreading out in, in Asia at the time. And they were God-fears. And I believe that general, this general somehow understood from the Old Testament, from the Hebrews, some principles of warfare. Understanding from how David engages his enemy with Goliath. And he said that there are these two, there are these two keys. One of them is to deceive and the other one is to subdue without a fight. This talks about how we have so often warfare happens in the air, doesn't it? Like psychologically, psychological warfare. You know, the devil will project things at a believer that are not true and try to get us to a place where we just don't even, even say there's no fight. But we have to understand that our position in Christ, we are, we are already victorious in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, all things have been placed underneath his feet. And that puts us in a place of advantage. So when we start our day in the morning, our day starts with this. I am complete in him. There's nothing lacking in my life. Uh, there's nothing that is unconquered. And there's nothing that is not finished in my life. And, you know, when Jesus came, and we shared about this on Wednesday night at the Bible study, Jesus came into a world where there's a lot of things that were unfinished. Israel at that time was not experiencing its glory and its authority on the world scene as was promised in the book of Isaiah. Israel was struggling with its, with uh, the oppressive Roman government over it. And Israel was just in a place of just unfinished. A lot of unresolved things were happening. Jesus shows up on the scene and he, he uh, intersects perpendicular to what is happening in Israel at the time. People that are, un, that are not healed come to Jesus. People that, are, that are, have great needs, prayers that are not answered, are coming to Jesus. And as they come to Jesus, and with their, all of their unfinished, unresolved issues, Jesus comes in and resolves them all. And so when we look at our life, and the devil says, the voice of the devil is always this, you're not enough. You have to do more. Uh, this is not healed in your life. You're, un, you're unworthy here. And so we have these, we have this sense of un, unworthiness or unfinishedness. But Jesus Christ comes in, and Jesus is not worried about us crossing the mark, crossing the goal of our ob- objectives or our goals. For some of us that are very task-oriented like myself, we really just have a great feeling when we just finish our task list. But there's maybe what happens if the day ends and our task list is not finished. Maybe we have not accomplished what we want. Maybe we are failing in an area of our life. And we think, okay, God will love me and I'll have fellowship with God when I get everything right and finished in my life. But Jesus is not waiting for that. Jesus wants to come in at that moment when everything is unfinished, unresolved, when there's great need, when there is, when there things are not, when things are just... Uh, falling apart Jesus wants to come at that moment walk into the scene Lazarus is dead remember Lazarus is dying Mary and Martha send for the apostles they send for the disciples they send for Jesus John chapter 11 Jesus is on his way but heals someone else on the way it's such an interesting story imagine that you know your brother is dying right imagine that how many of you have brothers here okay imagine him like he's dying he's on the deathbed and Jesus says, okay, I'll come. 
and he waits two or three days <laughs> to arrive. And it's not even that well far of a distance to go from where he was to Bethel. It's a very short distance, maybe just a few hour walk. And Jesus is kind of taking his time. He's teaching along the way. He's doing his thing and he's ministering. He's healing other people. He shows up and Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for a while. He's, in the, he's actually, he's dead. He's buried in the grave clothes in his tomb. And Mary, Mary and Martha were like, Martha was like, Martha was the, the time-conscious person with probably the very goal-achievement-oriented person. Jesus, if you had come on time, <laughs> we wouldn't be in this situation. You wouldn't be dead. And so Jesus is not about time. He's not about timing. And he's not about what needs to happen when. Jesus is about, you know what, I'm going to show up at the right moment when things seem to be, because Jesus supersedes time. Jesus supersedes tasks. Jesus supersedes those things that are done and not done. Those, Jesus supersedes those things that have been those great failures in people's lives. And Jesus supersedes all those great successes in people's lives. And Jesus comes in and says, you know what? You're missing the boat, Mary and Martha. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? It's like, you know, there's so many illustrations that we could use for that. Think of, think of a great need in your life financially, and then the, the owner of the bank comes. He's got, he's got un, unlimited resources, shows up late for something, and you're like, you know, you don't even know, you don't even discern the banker. You don't even understand who he is. And the banker's like, you know what? I am the boss of the whole organization. I can just come in and just change everything in one minute and rectify the whole thing. Sometimes we just, we lose sight of who Jesus Christ is. And when we lose sight of Jesus Christ, we lose sight of our first objective. That's objective number one, just to glorify God. You know, we're here, like, you know, you know we just have a vision to, to, to minister to people. You know, during the week, I'm just praying and saying, God, who do you want me to talk to today? Who can I share the gospel with? Who can I share... God's wisdom to maybe I'm not quoting John three sixteen to everybody, but maybe I'm talking to someone who is just in a crazy life crisis and just needs some wisdom from God, and I'm there in their path. And at that moment, we can just glorify God in that situation. Don't ever underestimate your journeys where you're going from A to B in your in your errands during the day, because uh, we're going to meet people. We were voting, we did early voting, and I met a guy. And he just said to me, I hope to meet with you guys. You know, just people, we are God's people. God's going to bring people across your paths, no matter if you're at work. It doesn't matter who you are and what's going on in your life. God wants people exposed to you. And so I'm going to quickly go through number two. Really, uh, the, second, the, the second thing that General Sue said, first of, all, first of all, was just understand your objective. Number two, what's your offensive action? And for us as a believer, our offensive action is not trying to beat the devil down with good works, but it's really just the word of faith. What did Jesus, how did Jesus engage the devil in Matthew chapter 4? How did he engage the devil? It is written. It is written. Did Jesus try to cast out the devil from the devil? You know? He didn't. He just said, he just quoted scripture. And I think that sometimes when we're by ourselves and we just quote scripture, have you ever done that? That is powerful stuff. Just read the Bible by yourself out loud. That is very powerful. Have you ever done that before? That's amazing. Just read the Bible out loud, you know? And it's going to clear up any atmosphere. Number three, 
um, the body of Christ is this third is this third tool, and this is the principle of mass. You know, when we're together in the body of Christ, we have we experience spiritual mass. You know, um, I just every last time I said this, and I'm thinking of this quote again at the same time, and it's kind of goofy, but it just really makes I don't know how you're gonna take it, but have you ever have you ever seen this T-shirt that says "Never underestimate the." the power and force of many dumb people. <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, you, just can have, you could have people that have just no understanding what they're doing, and they're just moving in mass, and they have like a huge effect. You know, like we as weak believers in the body of Christ, when we meet together, we're experiencing something that we're not, that we're not experiencing by ourselves. Understand Galatians, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God, right? How many times have we heard that in Sunday school? The armor of God, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, right? The sword of the spirit, shoes of the gospel. But where do we experience that? Where do we experience the armor of God? What's the context of that chapter? What's the context of the whole book of Ephesians? It's about the body of Christ, isn't it? So when I'm in the body of Christ, I'm experiencing all of the levels of the armor of God. If I'm on my own, I don't experience that principle of mass. I'm just going to, I don't want to re-preach what I preached last week. The economy of force, you know, the force of grace. You know, when we prepare our hearts in grace, and when we prepare in the finished work, and we use that term a lot here in our church, the finished work. Because there's nothing unfinished about our lives. There's nothing unfinished. Sometimes... I find that people are just speak are preaching the wrong message. They're talking about what I got to do to meet up to the standard. Jesus never put people in a place where they thought that they needed to achieve where he was at. You know? When we understand who we are in Christ and we can prepare ourselves uh, to who we are in Christ, and we have the right perspective in our relationships. And we're going to go to number five, and that's where we finished last week. Uh, number four, movement, God's game plan. God's game plan. And this is the fifth, fifth principle of warfare. This Chinese general said, you have to have your movement correct. You have to understand your movements. What's the movement for the believer? For you and I, we just move by faith in our life, don't we? we just take steps of faith. When Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, um, two million people. Can you imagine that? Leading two million people. That's unbelievable. Uh, He had to set up a good, his father-in-law helped him set up a good uh, delegation of authority where he broke up these groups into, you know, 70 men. And these 70 men oversaw others movement movement for us you know when we move and there's two ways that you and I are moving many ways that we're moving we're moving with our family right my wife and I moved down here you know we're some you know a lot of people a lot of you have moved down here you know with your family and that was a movement because it took a lot of organization just a big step step of faith some of us are moving individually I remember when I was single I moved to Poland you know, whenever we move in our life, whenever we're taking movement, we have to understand that, that this is a strategy, that the devil does not want you to move in faith. 
to move, take steps of faith. And I'm just talking to like myself here first. But there's a lot of things that we can just say, you know what, I'm, I don't know. I'm not going to move that way. I'm not going to do that. But when you and I take steps of faith in God's plan in Acts chapter 16, verse 10, we're going to see God put things together. You know, we're going to see God do awesome things. I don't mean that we, um, when we, when we do things by faith, there's also that risk factor. But the risk factor doesn't look so scary when we understand how great God's love is. You know, Peter moved out of the boat onto the water. And what was he focused on? He was focused on Jesus Christ, on his nature, on what Jesus, he was, Jesus was walking on the water. And I think that when you and I, <laughs> we're taking steps of faith in our life, and if you and I start looking at our life of faith, we're going to be like, whoa, what am I doing? This is like unbelievable, you know? Have you ever done that? You just stopped and you're just like, what am I doing? <laughs> and you just start sinking in doubt and start sinking in your emotions. And we all of us face this every day. Take steps of faith. And faith is not blind faith. Faith is not this crazy radical faith. Faith is just basically hearing from God and then acting on that. Sometimes, you know, if you and I don't hear from God, then when we're taking steps that are, necess- that are not necessarily faith but presumption, we're going to stop and we're going to look around and like, we're going to be like, whoa, where's the conviction about what I'm doing? Do you know what I'm saying? We've got to hear from God first. And that still small voice as God spoke, as Jesus spoke to Peter about going to, uh, to a new mission field in Macedonia. And there were times when Peter was, I'm sure, when Peter and Paul, I'm sorry, were, Paul, I'm sorry, Paul and his team were moving and they had trouble, they had difficulties. And I'm sure at those moments when they were being uh, hindered by the details of the culture or the people or the magistrates or their own doubt, that they had to stop and say, you know what, why am I doing this? Can you tell me, again, why are we doing this? You ever do that? We have to go to that moment to where God spoke to us. And say, yeah, you know what? God spoke to me at this time, at this place, at this day. And at that moment, we move by faith. Number six, um, the element of surprise. When we are led by the Spirit, the devil is totally surprised at what's going on in our life. Remember what we said last week, that when you and I humble ourselves, uh, we fall off his radar. Because his radar only picks up flesh, right? You know these stealth planes in the military? They have a special substance on the plane that, that evades radar. You know, when you and I humble ourselves and we're not walking in the flesh, we take our flesh to the cross and we experience daily crucifixion, we're not showing up on the devil's radar. When Jesus was born, he was born in ultimate, incredible humility. And no one in the world really knew where he was. Herod was saying, where is this king that, you, that I could find, that you could... Can you find him so that I may go worship him too? He wanted to actually kill him. And so when you and I walk by faith, remember that verse, I believe it's in John chapter 3, where Jesus says that the wind will blow where it will, right? And you can't see where it's coming from or where it's going. The spirit will, will move, and you cannot see where it's coming from or where it's going. That's the devil's perspective. When God is moving in your life, and you and I are taking steps of faith, that we know are God's will, or maybe it's something God's put in my heart. Like, you know, maybe God's put something in your heart. Like, you know, I'm a Christian, and I meet a lot of people here in Texas. I meet a lot of people like this. I'm a Christian. I'm going to a great big church. It's really awesome. But I really feel like we met, we've met, we meet them all the time. 
but I really feel like I have a personal calling in my life and I want to, I want to get engaged in that calling and I want to take steps of faith in, in that. And you know what? It's going to be steps of faith. And when we do that, we drop off the devil's radar. The devil has no idea where we're coming from or where we're going. It just, you know, and that's, that's really awesome. And so the element of surprise, we have the element of surprise for our enemy because he doesn't know where we're coming from or where, where we're going. So when you take steps of faith in your life, the devil is just freaking out. He's just totally worried. He's like, we've got to get him in the flesh so that we can pinpoint him and triangulate him. Uh, number seven, the principle of security. You know, this general, Sung, uh, Tzu Tsung, said that when you're fighting, that you have to have that, you have to fight from a, from a position of security. What is our security as a believer? Isaiah 54, verse 17. Um, that classic verse, Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. John 10, verse 28. Uh, I shall lose none that the Father has given me. No man shall pluck you out of my hand. It's called eternal security. The Bible teaches us that when we are saved, when we are born again, that we are eternally secure. And there's nothing that can get us out of that package, that, that place of security, that incubator of eternal security. And someone may say, well, how can that be? Like, how can you say that you're eternally secure forever and you just totally live in sin. Well, try that. <laughs> Whenever somebody says that to me, I say, have you tried living in just absolute blatant sin and see what happens? God's going to spank you right into eternity. You know, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, that God has to take people home early because grace is responsible. And so our eternal security, we are secure in the love of God. We are secure in this position. And we are not insecure as a believer discern when you feel that sense of insecurity coming towards you and just say, you know what, that's insecurity. You know, humility is when I can, from the Holy Spirit, discern my own soul. When I get self-aware in the right way. People talk a lot about becoming self-aware. You know, we have to become self-aware. That's all good, but it has to be self-awareness from the eternal spirit, word of God perspective. And David was like this a lot. How many times have you read in David's Psalms, oh my soul, why art thou cast down? It's weird. He's talking to himself. Is he, is he schizophrenic? Is he paranoid? What, what's going on? No, David understood how to speak and to challenge his soul from a spiritual perspective. Why are you downcast? It's like talking to your kids. Why are you, you know, what's happening? Why are you helping them become aware of their circumstance? Like, now, why are you sad? Or why are you discouraged? Or why are you frustrated? And we're not parents yet. And pray for us. We are working on that, that adoption process. We'd love to. There's some options for us that are coming. But when we talk to our kids, and I say that by faith, our kids. Though we don't have them yet. We talk to our kids, <laughs> plural. Um, who knows? Everything happens in Texas, right? Um, when we talk to our kids, what happens is, is that we want them to be self-aware of their state so that we can bring in a resolution, right? And so that's what God tells us to do. He says, speak to yourself from that position of security in Christ. In the book of Ephesians, if you, ever wanna, if you, have, a, if you have some time, you want to have some fun, go through the book of Ephesians and count how many times it says in Christ, in him. You know? And where's Christ? He's in the Father. It's that principle of security. 
Number eight, the principle of simplicity. I love this one. I just love simplicity. I don't know about you guys. Just complicated things just, I don't know, I kind of faint. I just shut down with, with complicated things. I just like, let's, let's, I like direct. I love this, I, I love this picture because how many of you in school got these kind of mazes and you had to draw like the arrow through it? And I've always wanted to do that, just draw right there, right through it, you know? You know, just get a bulldozer and just bulldoze right through those walls to get to the other side. Simplicity means, and this is what this general was saying, is that if you want to have an advantage in the, on the battlefield, you have to move with simplicity. You can't have complicated maneuvers because you lose people. We're going to lose people. And we lose, our, we lose our own understanding if things get complicated. Things that need... Things need to be very simple. In Psalm 131, David said, I don't exercise myself in things too high for me. You know, if it's too high for you to figure it out and you find yourself beating your head against the wall trying to understand what it is, just chill out and just relax and say, I'm going to go lay down in green pastures right now. I'm going to, I'm going to be led by still waters in Psalm 23. And if you can't walk, then if you can't run, then just walk. And if you can't walk, then just lay down. Psalm 23. Just lay down by green pastures and say, God, I do not understand my situation. I don't understand the warfare right now. I'm just going to lay down beside, I'm going to lay down in green pastures right now. And great, green always speaks of mercy, doesn't it? There's lots of grass in Texas. My dog loves the, the grass in Texas. It's just, you know, you lay down. Have you, the grass here is amazing. It's just like so hard. You could like lay to sleep on it or something, you know? Complicated, free from complicated maneuvers. Like, just keep things simple in your walk with God. You know, simple faith, and this Pastor Shabelli says this a lot, simple faith defeats complicated evil. You know, when people are lying, their life is very complicated, isn't it? You just got to keep up with all of the, what did I say last time? What did I say, you know, just trying to remember what the, the last story was and, Life is just so much simpler when we just live on straight paths, like the, the book of Proverbs says, make straight paths for your feet. The simplicity in a life of truth, telling the truth right at the beginning can be painful, but it's going to avoid just disastrous situations in the future. We just live in that simplicity with God. And the devil really wants to, dis- wants to target that. Like Remember in the, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, Paul talks about this to the Corinthians. He said that you would not be ignorant of the, devi- of the, of this, of the devil's devices uh, because uh, the devil beguiled Eve's simplicity in the garden. You know, there's a measure of simplicity in our lives as Christians that the devil really hates. You know, that don't allow the devil to beguile that and we become cynical or bitter or... You know, I saw this commercial the other day, and I just laugh every time I see it. And it's, I think it's a FedEx commercial where these guys are in an office. Have you seen this? These, these people, and they're just talking about, um, they're all passive aggressives. And it's just hilarious. They're all, they're like, like um, they're having like a meeting of some kind, and they're saying, so we, they, they acknowledge their passive aggressiveness. And they're making comments to each other, like, you know, um, like uh, passive aggressive, like, you know, well, we, you know, one lady says to this one guy, well, we, we really appreciate you even in your ideas, even if they're bad ideas. 
And like, you know, statements like this, what were some of the other ones that, you know, these passive aggressive state, statements that were very snarky and, and sarcastic and they're all doing this to each other, smiling. And then the, 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 the office manager walks in and says to the group at the table, I just want to tell you guys, you're all doing a great job. And they're all like looking at him like, what does he mean by that? You know, when we live in this, in this destructive, cynical way of looking at things and we are doubtful of the grace of God and we say, you know what, life is good now, but I'm just waiting for that moment when everything just falls apart. I'm just living. You ever felt that way? Here's another way people think. Life is too good. It's just, you know, the other shoe's going to drop, right? You know, I mean, there's that anticipation for disaster. And that's not the way God thinks. This is complicated thinking. We have to think with God like, you know, God's going to get us to the end, all the way to the end, and he's going to be faithful all the way. And we can't live in this complicated, cynical doubt of the, of the, of the nature of God's grace. And then lastly, being of the same mind, cooperation in Philippians 2, 1, 1 through 5. This is the ninth one, that there has to be oneness of minds. Oneness of minds. Where does our oneness of minds come from? And I'm just amazed that oftentimes you hear people speaking about, we got to be one, we got to be one. But there is no unity unless it's based on two things. Number one, the cross has crucified my flesh and their flesh. Okay? You know? There can't be unity in marriage or in a friendship or a relationship unless I take my flesh to the cross and that other person takes their flesh to the cross. And when they do that, then we see each other in Christ. And that's the second aspect of unity is that like, we are one in Jesus Christ. You know, We are one of the same spirit. And if they are walking in the light, 1 John 1, 7, 8, and 9, confessing their sin to God when they fail, bringing it to the cross, and I'm walking in the light and doing the same thing. We're going to fellowship with each other. You know, we're going to fellowship with each other. Unity is not conformity. We hear that a lot, right? Unity is not conforming. Because you can have a bunch of people that, this is what communism tried to do. Communism tried to create conformity. This is what socialism tried to do. It tried to create conformity for the greater good. But nobody was, nobody was one there. There was no unity there. Everybody, you'd go to a communist society, you go to these countries where my wife and I used to live in, and you'd see everybody, there's no unity. There's fear. There's suspicion. There's paranoia. There, there is this intrepidation. There was no genuine atmosphere, genuineness in relationship. Our sameness of mind, we could have differing opinions about things. And that's kind of good, actually, when there's differing opinions, when someone says, you know, I have a different opinion. But our unity is just much bigger than differing, you know, than, than preferences. Our unity is, is like, you know, maybe Eduardo thinks something is healthy and I don't think that's healthy and maybe I think something's good and he doesn't think that's good. You know, we don't have that problem, right? <laughs> Not yet. But our unity, huh? Tex-Mex. Tex-Mex. We found a good restaurant last night. It was really good. Papacitos. I texted him. I said, let's go to Papacitos Cantina. And he writes back. He says, you know what the word cantina means? <laughs> so I was wondering, oh, am I inviting him to a bar or something? <laughs> what does it mean? I don't know. Saloon. It's a saloon. There was no, there was no, I didn't, well, there was a bar there, but I didn't really see people there. 
But our unity is really based on the cross of Jesus Christ and being of the same mind. And I want to close with this, that the weapons of our, our weapons are not fleshly or carnal. What are some fleshly weapons? Let me ask you, what are some fleshly weapons that you can think of? Let me just get your feedback. Fleshly weapons. Give me a couple. Whatever comes out of religion, mm-hmm. like I do good things religiously, striving, Mm-hmm. Striving in the flesh. Yeah. It's a good one. Anyone else? All those principles that all the leadership books come out with and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That can get very fleshly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, self-development. Anyone else? How about having to always be right? Yeah. You can you can you know these marriage gurus say the hardest words for husbands to say I'm sorry I'm wrong <laughs> I don't know maybe you guys are perfect in that area oh yeah <laughs> what are some other fleshly weapons like justifying ourselves right mm-hmm. defense reaction reaction yeah. It's okay if I don't explain everything to people so they understand why I did that. It's okay if people may think I have a wrong motive. That's, that's another thing, you know, like having to get on the phone and explain to everybody, well, this is what I meant when I said this. And, you know, why can't you see it? And it's okay. It's like let God fight for you, you know. Jesus didn't have to explain himself to everybody, you know. Defending ourselves. Defending ourselves, mm-hmm. You know? Manipulation. Manipulation. Mm. Oh, yeah. Ooh, Eduardo. How's it go? We're going to sit down right now and just think about that. <laughs> Control, huh? I think as a pastor, um, there's that temptation to control people. You know? Because, you know, you want people to do... So if you have an idea of something that's not really God's idea and it's your idea and you're striving, then if people are not on board, you're going to be combative and manipulating. Jesus gave people incredible freedom, didn't he? It's really amazing how much freedom he gave people. He was not controlling at all. Okay, and I like this. If an unbeliever can do it, it's not supernatural. I like that. My wife and I have like a, a theme. One of the themes in our marriage is if there's not, we can do it, but if, there's, if it's not supernatural, then it, we, there's not a story to it. You know, we like to have things that have a story to it, right? And if it's supernatural, then there's always a story. So I'll finish with this Zechariah 4, verse 6. It's not by might nor by power. And these are two words that are talking about really the same thing. Might is really talking about my physical exertion. The kingdom of God is not in physical exertion. And in the word power here speaks of inner power or soulish power. And I think that when we are, when, when a person or a leader or a pastor or an individual loses their vertical with God, we will, we will default to overcompensate for our lack of spirituality will overcompensate with other things like emotionalism or 
over over planning projects. Like if I if an individual loses their vertical with God, they lose their walk with God, they lose their their just their communion with God, then and they're in the work of God, and this is kind of a team I'm talking to, so that's why I'm saying this. If we are in some kind of ministry or just a parent or whatever, wherever we're at, where we work, um, if I lose my walk with God, I'm going to try to overcompensate my influence over people by either just uh, doing one of two things, being emotional or just being um, overly, overly technical and overly planning and just overkill with, with the theory, you know? And so when you and I walk with God and we understand it's not by my physical exertion and it's not by my might, but it's by the spirit of God. And I'm just going to, I heard a story this week. I met a, I met a pastor. He's a pastor of a very big church in the area. And, you know, it's a big mega church. And I just thought, okay, you know, I hear what he has to, what he has to say. And I was just really blessed by his testimony. He said, he was talking to a group of church planners and he said, you know, you guys come into this church and you see this huge property and you see this big building and all of the little paths in the woods that it goes into. And, and, uh, and it's very, it's very easy to get the wrong idea of how this all came about. He said five years ago, and he says this publicly, he wrote a book about it. He said five years ago, he said, I have a mental illness. I was like amazed that he just said this. He said, I have a mental illness Maybe you know who this is. And he said, I've had it all my life. And he's a very, like, driven guy. And he was a marathon runner. He's just extremely well-known athlete in, the, in Texas, I guess. Uh, he would run 100 miles a week. This guy was just, and he's 62 years old. The guy's fit, as fit can be. And he said, five years ago, it just peaked. And it's OCD. It's, it's um, obsessive-compulsive disorder. And he said it peaked five years ago. And he said, I was five or six years into uh, ministry in this church as the pastor. And he said, I had to tell my congregation that I'm really in trouble. And he said, I had to like ask them for that they would all pray for me. And he said, I was on the edge of suicide. He said, I was going to, I was thinking about ending my life. It was just amazing that he shared this. And he said, what broke through for him was understanding uh, his vertical and communion with God, and his vert, his walk with God. And when he was sharing this, you know, when you talk, when you talk, when you listen to people speak, you can tell if they are if they have a walk with God, can't they? You can tell if they have inner communion with God. And it's just not fluff, and it's just not it's not anything else. It's just content. And he was just saying, he said, he said, if you guys think that you can go out there. And just by your gifts and talent, make it happen. You know what my prayer is? And he just bent over. <laughs> he just got, he's like, he got really intense. He says, my prayer is that God would bless you with great pain. <laughs> Unbelievable pain in your life, inner and external. I was like, wow, what a prayer request. <laughs> and it's like, he said, he said, because you know what your greatest need is? He says, you don't need more funding. You don't need more resources. You don't need, the only thing you need in your life is just great desperation. And if you have that great desperation... Timothy Keller says that human need and weakness attracts the love and the grace of God. He says, how do we walk in grace? Just be in need. Because when we're in need, it attracts the compassion and the love and the grace of God. 
if you're a wife and you see your husband in trouble or struggling, then there's that automatic thing inside of a wife that just um, is compassionate and for her children as well. And that's built in there by God because that's the mother heart of God. That, and, and, and that means that when God sees his people not leaning on their flesh, but just living in voluntary weakness in, spirit, in, in the midst of spiritual warfare, then that it just attracts the great grace of God and that attracts the great power of God and the, and the communion with the spirit. And that's what Isaiah says, that his spirit, he says, I am near to those of a broken heart. And oh, how we avoid that, don't we? We avoid brokenness. We just don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's weird. It's, we, don't, we can't figure it out. We don't really know where we stand when we're vulnerable. We'd rather get on Facebook and tell everybody about it or make phone calls or text everyone or just kind of talk to that special someone that kind of lifts us up maybe in a soulish way. We've got to go to God. we just got to hear from God and draw near to him because he is near to them of, that are of a broken spirit and a broken heart. Amen.